This episode originally aired in 2021. You're listening to Here and Queer, a five-part documentary series created by Umbrella on Liffey Sound FM about what it's like to come to Ireland as an LGBTQ adult. I'm your host, Keen Sullivan. This is episode five. On this week's episode, I speak with Preet, who came to Ireland from Mauritius. Preet has a story to tell that will kind of make you sit up in your seat and pay attention. There is so much that he's gone through and he keeps such a positive spirit throughout. It is really, really admirable. There are some topics that will come up that might not be for everybody. So if that causes you a bit of concern, have a look in the show notes of the episode. I put all the trigger warnings in there. But if you think you'd be able to manage it, let's welcome to the show Preet. My name is Preet and I'm originally from Mauritius. I'm in Ireland since 26 months and I'm currently living in Athlone. Preet, thank you for joining us on the, on the show. So tell us a bit about Mauritius and, and your heritage. Where are you from? Mauritius is a multicultural country made of a mix of Indian, African, French and Chinese heritage. We have a population of 1.2 million approximately and our official languages are English and French. Our native language is Creole, which is a broken French. Mauritius is a religiously diverse nation, with Hinduism being the most widely professed faith, followed by Islam and Christianity. And I suppose when you were growing up there, how would you describe that sort of like, what sort of food were you eating? And So I, I hail from a middle class family, okay. which consists of my parents, my two sisters, and my brother. All my siblings are married and my parents are retired now. Okay. I was living with my family in Triole, which is the longest village in my country. Mm-hmm. The cuisine of Mauritius is a blend of African, Chinese, and Indian. We are Hindu, and I was raised under a strict religious belief where being LGBTQ is regarded as a curse and mental disease. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about when you were younger. It's, it's funny because, you know, when I first heard you were from Mauritius, I immediately thought, oh, that must be, you know, a really tough place to be gay because I was getting confused with Mauritania, which is like one of the last places that has a death penalty for for LGBTQ sort of same sex. Then I looked up Mauritius and on Wikipedia anyway, it says that it's one of the more gay friendly countries in Africa. But it's, it's very hard, like just because there are certain laws that have passed that haven't passed elsewhere, like it's very hard to tell what a social attitude is to things based on sort of laws and stuff. So don't tell me a bit more about, you know, what it's actually sort of like from a person to person point of view in Mauritius as a gay guy. Okay. Since my early age, around 10, people started making fun of me and addressing me with disgraceful names. This is when I started using the word gay and feeling totally different from other kids in my Mm. vicinity. I have always been very feminine and since I was a kid, I was, uh, sorry, I have always been very feminine since I was a kid and I was renowned for that in my local locality. 
And now as a queer person, it is extremely difficult to live in Mauritius. Okay. The difference in, in attitudes towards LGBTQ in my home country is horrible, hostile, biased, and obnoxious. LGBT, LGBTQ is not legal in Mauritius, and we still face discrimination due to conservatives' attitude among the population. LGBTQ people face discrimination almost everywhere, like in weddings, in public transport, on the streets, in shops, at works, in public hospitals, and bullying in schools. I have been a victim of this for so many years. Same-sex sexual activity is illegal, and the penalty is up to five years of imprisonment. We don't have any constitution for LGBT in our parliament, Mm. And unfortunately, 99% of the politicians don't support us. There are no LGBTQ role models as such in Mauritius, as we are not even considered as human beings. It can be tough enough dealing with being different in a world that is says sometimes it's, it's okay to be different. Like that can still be a challenge. You know, how did you cope with being different, being gay? in the country that tells you that you're not a human if you're gay? Well, my life has always been an open book to everyone. Mm. And I have always been at ease with my orientation. When I was 12 years old, I expressed myself in my spirit. But sadly, this was not received well by my family members, who still thinks I am the black sheep of the family. Okay. They knew that I was feminine, but they are still adamant in accepting me the way I am. I had no hopes from the Orthodox society for whom I have always been an object of mockery. But it was worse when my family rejected me as well. Yeah. In Mauritius, black magic and voodoo is very common. Hence, I was even brought to exorcist because they think like I was possessed in order to turn me straight. And I was even brought to psychiatrist again to turn me straight. Right picture, which is in uh, on Wikipedia, is totally false. Okay, and talk to me about the sort of black, the exorcism. Like, what does that like? What does that look like in in a way? Like, you, what what does this person do to you to try and exorcise you? Is it just prayer? Is it is it more than that? No, it's more than that. Actually, you know, like since uh, in Mauritius, just like uh, voodoo and black magic are very common. Yeah. So which means, you know, like I'm Hindu and in Hindu and uh, in Hindu, especially and in and in, uh, Mus- uh, uh, in Islam, they believe more in that, especially in Hindu. And now, you know, like uh, there's social pressure. At one point, I understand the state of mind of my parents. Mm. I do understand and I feel sad for them as well. Mm. But it's something which, you know, like it's something which I cannot I cannot obey them like to marry a girl. So it goes like that, you know, like when you we we normally like in Mauritius, like at one point, let's say after uh, when you reach 22 years old for a guy like they, uh, they should start looking for girls to get married. Then, like, you know, like, since I was very feminine and, you know, like, I was always different, like, I wasn't interacting with the, with the guys in the area because they were all making fun of me. So, you know, like, then neighbors, like, especially since I come from a village, so, you know, people are very, very conservative. Actually, most of the people are conservative in Mauritius. Mm. So they, you know, like, so they start, you know, gossiping. They start telling my mom, you know, oh, I can see your... 
your son is very gay. So, you know, like, uh, I think like he's possessed. I know like there's a good exorcist in this area. So you should bring him, you know, like he's possessed. So they're gonna do, they're gonna do prayers or even they're gonna do, you know, like they will give you, you know, like ashes, this kind of stuff, you know, just to put yeah. under his pillow, you know, like just to turn him straight. And eventually that happened. So I was brought to exorcist almost everywhere in my country. I mean, like across Mauritius because it's very common. So there was some exorcism, which was like, let's say like to the advanced level where you have to sacrifice goats, you have oh, to sacrifice pigs, you have to, you have to bathe with the blood. You have to you have to sniff the hashes. You have to go to the cemetery yeah. like in the midnight. You know this kind of stuff. And my mom like and my mom like and my father they were putting like you know like roosters uh, roosters head under my under my pillow. You Jeez. know like they were just to turn me straight. Okay. At one point, you know, like this was so intensive. But at one at one point, I was thinking maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe my lifestyle is wrong. Because, you know, like I was thinking even about my family, I know, you know, like they have expectation from me, but there's nothing like which can be done. I'm, yeah. I'm gay, I'm gay. And, and yeah. I'm a very religious person. I have always believed, you know, like I cannot, you know, ruin a girl's life because at one point I will have to answer to God. Mm. And on top of that, I was raped, you know, like, and it goes like that in Mauritius. When you are gay, I know, like, I'm gay, so obviously I love men. Not like, you know, I'm dying to to sleep with everyone. Sure. But Mauritius is like that. If someone is forcing you just because you are gay, so eventually, the eventually you are to be blamed because everyone will say, oh, no, you are gay, you seduce that person. And so... You, you you mentioned there about the sexual assault and if we don't want to get into it that's perfectly fine but was that another man and was that in in Mauritius yes that was in Mauritius that was my uh my neighbor next okay piece, uh, yeah my neighbor just beside my house I think he was a sex addict because you know anyway okay. like he's married he he's married he's he has his wife yeah. he has three kids so I don't know if he was by us a sex addict because you know like I never expressed that with anyone at, until I did my post-traumatic experience in uh, Athlone Midlands Rape Crisis, and then they helped me to overcome that. So basically, you know, like from nine years old till 14 years old, I was raped like innumerable times. Mm. When I was nine years old, I was uh, uh, like, I didn't even know what was happening to me. Because, yeah. you know, you are still a kid. And then that guy or that sex addict, I should call him, he was, you know, like giving me chocolate. He was giving me key. He was giving me, you know, gifts, everything. And he was telling me, oh, please come. I have gifts. And then every time he was doing that with me. And then when I reached uh, around 14 years old, then I realized what was happening with me. Yeah. But then still there was no one to support me because you know my family they were already against me the society won't believe me but when i stood up for myself i spoke to him i told him i warned him i told him you know like i will i will uh i will reveal you uh that what you have been doing for with me but then he blackmailed me he told me you know if you're gonna do that i will i will gang rape you and no one will believe you because no one cares even your own family has rejected you yeah 
so that has been happening and you know like in Mauritius since we don't have any uh, we don't have any LGBTQ constitution even though if you go to the police station you express that you know like I'm gay as soon as they hear you are gay even the police officers they start making funny faces yeah so it's very difficult you don't have any support child sexual abuse not just sexual abuse um, so I mean that's even more confusing and, and these situations always enter in power as well so yeah that must have been very very difficult to deal with yeah that was indeed but you know I I have always believed in destiny what's written in your destiny is going to happen so mm. I've, uh, this was meant to happen I think this way and did you ever have an opportunity to when you were older to date another man even in secret was that ever an option or was just everyone so closeted that you know it was no, no i never had any opportunity because you know like i said you know like i belong from the old era yeah. so you know no grinder yeah no grinder no planet romeo no yeah. gator nothing no, you know no. so there was no opportunity because you know like uh I was the funniest thing, you know, like you might even laugh. Like I was thinking I'm the only gay in this in Mauritius because, you know, I had no LGBT net LGBTQ network and I didn't even know, like, you know, like if there are other people like me until when I reached in my thirties, you know, and then I started, you know, like I started, you know, searching online, you know, like when I had access with PCs, oh no, it's not only me. So we have LGBTQ people around the world. Yeah. So that's what, like, then, you know, I started thinking, you know, like, oh, no. So I'm not the black sheep of the family. We are human beings as well. And what was it that you saw that made you realize you weren't alone? At that time, you know, like, only Bollywood movies were common. Okay. And in Bollywood movies, like, it's still a taboo. When the technology started, you know, like, become very familiar and Mauritius, everything, and then I had a mobile... Then I was reading reviews about LGBT movies. And then there was the movies Brokeback Bro Mountain. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as I read so many uh, positive reviews about that movies. And then, you know, I decided, okay, I have my, I have the mobile now so I can watch movies, you know, like on YouTube, you know, like secretly. Then when I watched that movie, then that triggered me, okay, this is a real world. And then, you know, like, yeah, and then, you know, like, after that movie, you know, and then, like, it was followed by short LGBT movies, you know, so many movies. And then I watched and I was so, you know, like, that broadened my general knowledge in terms Mm -hmm. of LGBTQ community. Before we go to a break, let's play some music. So I asked you to choose a song that sort of reminds you of your time in Mauritius. What have you chosen and why? This uh, this song, because, you know, like, uh, in Mauritius, actually, you know, like, Sega, and, you know, we have Sega is the traditional song. But I was not, I was never into, into Sega. So this song is, it's a very nice song. And okay. at the same time, you know, like, you are uplifting a friend when he or she is down. Jimmy Gassel, it's featuring Laura Bird. It's called Friends. Don't forget how much you mean to me If you lost, don't forget how much you mean to me 
talk to me a bit about when you're in Mauritius. Did you come out to your parents? I think you said earlier on you did. And, and what was the sort of reaction? So I came out, uh, let's say, when I was still a teenager, as I knew 100% that I'm gay. So mm-hmm. my family members knew that since ages, but still they were not supportive. That occurred strongly when I, when I was 22 years old. They were forcing me to marry a girl and I had to come out again and tell them that I'm gay. Okay. How did the bride take it? Obviously in a very bad way. Okay. Because, you know, like yeah. my dad has always told me, you know, like uh, we are men. So men should be he- here, should be on the top and women should be on the bottom. And you are my son. So you need to marry. You need to give me grandsons, granddaughters. So obviously, like they were not happy at all because, you know, like they have to they have to reply to the society because like in Mauritius, it's very common, you know, like gossip, just like uh, just mm. like in Desperate Housewives, you know, gossip. <laughs> so in Mauritius, it's exactly like that. So, you know, oh, why your son, why, why, is, why is your son wearing makeup? Why is he so skinny? Why is he, you know, like so feminine? He should act as like a man, you know? Why is he, you know, like uh, not socializing with guys? Why is he always, you know, like in a corner, you know, like uh, like walking, you know, like as, uh, like as a king? I didn't come out till I was 19 because I mean I wasn't I wasn't sure I was gay I mean there was definitely a lot of evidence but I wasn't positive and I always think it's really interesting how even in from a, a culture that was so anti-gay yeah. in every aspect from what you've described that you still knew so strongly inherently that that you were this thing that you didn't even really know the words for or that you didn't even you know i just think that's really really fascinating and i wonder do you know where where it comes from you know like i always knew like i was different from others and you know like even when i was even when i was in school you know like even in college you know so i was always you know like attracted by the same sex so i knew like for Mm -hmm. sure no i was totally different so yeah then you know like I have always been very confident in life and I have always accepted everything I have always also been very neutral in life so you know like uh why I'm saying that just to let you know that you know like I believe in facts so I knew like no preach you are gay you are gay and you need to accept that because you know like you cannot fake yourself for others you have mm. to fight this battle. I mean, that that's an amazing self-belief to have at such a young age. Like people, you know, struggle with that all through their 20s and, and 30s as well. So I think that's really yes, remarkable. Yeah, I know because, you know, like uh, I have read that, you know, like some people, you know, like they have come out, you know, like uh, in their 40s from in their 50s. Some mm. people still struggle. But the well, I'm not flattering myself. But the best thing about me is I am the way I am. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that gets you in trouble sometimes as well. But, you know, every 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 trait has positives and negatives. And it seems yeah, it's really definitely. served you well. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So when was it that you decided you wanted to leave Mauritius? Well, so I was so depressed, lonely, suicidal and dejected with my life that one day I decided enough is enough. Mm. No more of social pressure, voodoo to turn me straight, family rejection, humiliation, foul languages. 
I don't deserve that. I say to myself, preach, you don't belong here. You deserve a better life abroad. Mm-hmm. I am in Ireland since the 8th of August, 2018. Okay. And I'm currently based in Athlone, the heart of Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> where I was working in Mauritius, my actually, that's, that's very interesting, you know, where I was working in Mauritius, my boss, mom's is originally from Dublin, Ireland. Okay. So whenever we were communicating, she was always telling me how beautiful Ireland and the Irish people are. Okay. So since that, after some internet search, I became so passionate about this country, especially the LGBTQ community where there is no hatred, only acceptance and love. And were there any other competitors for where you wanted to go? Was it a mixture between Ireland and the UK and France? Or was it only Ireland that you ever set your eyes on to go to? Well, I know like I I don't I don't know why everyone is so well. I'm not saying in a bad way, but I know like everyone, you know, is passionate about UK, United Kingdom, you know, Mm. because maybe because it's big, you know. But you know, like I did I did my my research. I did my research, you know. But then you know, like when I researched about Ireland, you know, first of all, like I don't know because every time when I say that. So many people, especially the women, keep telling me, what? Are you serious? I keep telling them that Irish men are so handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the women keep telling me, are you serious? Then I said, yeah. Then they said, no. But for me, you know, like when I when I did my research, I I when I when I saw, you know, like uh, obviously, you know, like Europe is way way better than Mauritius sure. in terms of everything, you know. Mm. And then when I saw the buildings, everything, you know, like all the lovely pictures, especially you know, like in the second bit, uh, my boss mom, like she has always encouraged me, and she knew like I was gay, and she was always encouraging me to come to Ireland, you know. Mm. And thirdly, you know. When I when I uh, when I did my research, you know, like I got so many positive reviews that you know, like mostly around the world, ninety nine percent of Irish people are the most supportive people, okay. which I accept. Irish people are very friendly, very supportive, very kind. So you know, like then I said no, you know, like so these factors have really helped me. And the uh, most important factors, you know, the handsome guys, the handsome fellas, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes a, a lot of uh, a lot of gay men, I'm sure, make decisions very similar to that, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So, did, were you anywhere? It was Mauritius straight to Ireland. You didn't live anywhere between no, that. Actually, so to be honest, I sneaked into Republic of Ireland okay. through Belfast, Northern Ireland. Once my registration was done with International Protection Office, I was placed in Balseskin Accommodation Center in Dublin 11. Okay. After 26 months, I have finally won the battle and got my residence permit. Cool. So, you know, like, uh, to be honest, I never had any idea about, like, what is asylum uh, process? What is... A- I, never, I never had any idea what asylum seeker is. Yeah. Until, you know, like, I have my, oh, uh, well... Most of my best friends, they are in the UK. Most of my best friends, they are in the UK. Some are like uh, two friends are in France. A couple of them are in Finland. And they are all married. 
they are all married with fella and I'm the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one who is still, you know, like single. So then, you know, like they told me, you know, especially my, my best friend, like who lives in the UK, we've been friends for 22 years now. So he told me, you know, like you're oh, you so depressed. I cannot see you like that. So why don't you come to UK? for like a holiday and coincidentally you know like where i was working like i i was like it was a peak so we were we were getting like holidays for two weeks then i booked my ticket everything then then when i came then he told me you know so why don't you apply asylum here and then i said what does what does asylum mean then he explained me everything and then i said you know so hang on let me check if we have this in ireland because i'm very fascinated about ireland so let me check. And then when I did check, then I, I saw that, yes, we have the asylum process here. And then I said, you know, like, oh, so I have to, and then I told my friend, so I have to sneak in, see if I will be able to sneak in and apply. If not, then I will return to, I will return to UK and apply there. And fortunately, when I when I sneak in, which is illegal, but I did mention that to the International Protection Office with everyone, mm -hmm. even with the Garda, everything. Then when I sneak in, you know, like uh, since we don't have any borders, you know, so no one stopped me. And then when I claim asylum, I got uh, accepted. So that's how come, you know, like I came islanded here, and I'm very happy I'm in Ireland. I'm very happy I'm in Ireland. So the friends you mentioned, they are friends you know, from Mauritius who are also gay? Yeah, most of my friends, like we, uh, like, you know, like when, when, like I started, you know, like, like I said, you know, in the mid thirties, you know, when I started thinking, you know, like, no, we have other gay people as well. Then slowly, slowly, we were like, I made a couple of friends who were in the same position like me, you know, mm -hmm. we cannot reveal anyone, you know? Then fortunately, you know, at that point, you know, like they were, all, we, are, we were all fed up basically with uh with the mentality in Mauritius so yeah. they got lucky you know at the same time they came to UK as student so you know that's how come you know like they got you know like uh, they got you know like uh opportunities then to stay in in the European countries yeah. and you know like that then we still keep in touch because now you know like we are all on social media as you know and then now everything is on social media so in a way, it is very good because, you know, like then we we connect more easily. OK, so on the topic of, of gay friends and coming out, I asked you to choose a song by a gay artist or a queer artist. Um, who did you choose? Definitely, no doubt, George Michael's Careless Whisper. Sit back and enjoy the saxophones. They sound just as good every single time you hear them. Was Ireland what you expected to be when, when you arrived? Well, uh, not really. Okay. Well, uh, well, well, well. Uh, I need to accept it's been a long journey of sorrows, mm. rejection, disappointment, loneliness, sadness, sleepless nights, hopes, happiness. The list goes on. Mm. It wasn't easy at all to set up life in Ireland, and for sure, it was a as I was expecting. 
I never had any idea that uh, the asylum process is going to be so lengthy, yeah. pressing that it will literally drain me out. So tell me some of the challenges you faced then through the direct provision system. Yes. Yeah, so once my registration was done with, uh, with International Protection Office, I was placed in Balseskin Accommodation Center, which is in Dublin 11. As it was a temporary mm-hmm. accommodation of the three weeks, I was moved yeah. to Hazel Hotel in Monastery in Coquildare permanently. Just to let you know that Hazel Hotel has been used on a contract basis by the Department of Justice to accommodate asylum seekers and refugee right. integration centers. So after spending a month there, I was transferred to Athlone Accommodation Center in Ballymahon Road, co-Westmate. Now the big question is how deep I land up in Athlone Accommodation Center when Hazel Hotel was supposed mm. to be my permanent accommodation. Well, this is associated with the challenges I have been facing in all the accommodation centers so far, which is my sexual orientation. As a gay person living in normal accommodation center is just awful. By normal accommodation center, I mean where straight and LGBTQ people must live together. From day one in Balseskin mm. Reception Center, I have been victim of homophobia. I was sharing the room with two guys and the toilet and the shower were communal. Be it in the premises, in the canteen, in the shower or in the center bus, I was compelled to cope with nasty remarks. In Hazel Hotel, I was sharing the room with seven guys with one bathroom. Again, it was tough for me as I was a center of attention due to my sexuality. It was so awkward for me to move around my roommates and I was not at ease at all. Eventually, I got so depressed that I was crying every day and I decided to do something. Hence, I emailed the International Protection Accommodation Service explaining them about my dilemma and requested for a transfer, which was eventually granted. And when we're talking eventually, are we talking three days or are we talking six months? Oh, no, it was actually, uh, it was normally like, you know, like uh, normally they take all day, you know, like they action your request of the 21 days. In my case, it was before 21 days because, you know, when I, when I uh, emailed, I had CC'd my solicitor. Okay. I had CC'd the Justice Department and all the LGBT communities in Dublin. So maybe that's why, you know, like then after a week, I was transferred in my current accommodation center, which is in Athlone. So here I live yeah. in a caravan with a straight guy and I have my own room. I did email IPAS twice okay. and requested for a gay roommate, but my request was not granted. Well, even here, I have been facing homophobic issues, which I reported to the management, and fortunately, actions were taken. But like, but like I said before, I'm still the center of attention due to my sexual orientation. It hurts, but what can you do? You cannot change everyone. For me, the direct provision system has been very depressing and needs a big restructuring. And what sort of form are these hom- homophobic actions? Are they verbal? Is it f- assault? They are, you know, like it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a mixture, mixture of everything. It's yeah. kind of, you know, like a mixture of desperate housewife, charm, sex in the city. <laughs> if you just mix everything 
I might be laughing now because, you know, like uh, it's kind of routine for me now. You know, it's kind mm. of routine. I'm just done and dusted. You know, like I said, you know, the direct uh, the direct provision system is so depressing that, you know, like I'm just going with the flow now. So, you know, the, sometimes yeah. you don't have to understand the language because, you know, in all the direct provisions, we have uh, people from all around the world. And in yeah. most of their cultures, being LGBTQ is a curse. And the funniest thing, you know, they are against that, but they are claiming asylum in a country which is where LGBT is legal and the ex-prime minister mm -hmm. is, is uh, gay. So we have okay. this kind of mentality in all the centers. So, you know, like mm. sometimes, you know, like most of them, like, you know, like they don't speak English. So, you know, like when they just look at me, you know, like their facial expression tells you everything. True. And some of them use the F words, yeah. you know, like, mm -hmm. which is very common for like to, to address gay. So some of them, you know, like when you are just, you know, like let's say walking around, you know, like it's, hey, why are you like that? Are you gay? You gay? This kind of stuff happens. It's very sure. common. Everywhere, everywhere. And the funniest thing I will tell you, you know, like there was one guy who even knocked at my window, asking me for sexual favors. And when I denied, he used so many bad languages. And, you know, like he, he met one, uh, ex-asylum seeker who was living here in Dublin and then he was telling him you know like your friend like Preet is so gay or oh, he should be ashamed of himself you know like he's so gay everyone keeps talking about him he's in in our religion it's not allowed to be like that he should be cursed he should be dead blah 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 so this kind of stuff you know this kind of stuff it's very common and you know like at the same time, yeah. you know, like some stuff happens where there are no CCTV cameras, you know, so there's no proof yeah. as such. So when you will go and report to the management, you know, like at the same time, you know, like definitely they're going to check in the CCTV camera, but you know, the CCTV camera doesn't cover the whole area. So it's kind of, you know, I'm used to it now. Now, you know, I, I am in a secure country, so I have stood up for my rights. You won't believe me, there was one small kid who is, I think, like three years old. I like exercising a lot, you know, like, because, you know, like, in direct provision, you need to be, you know, you need, you, you need to be doing something constantly just to keep you, you know, like, you're, yeah, occupied. Occupied. So there was one small kid, he's three years old, and I, when I was walking, he said, you gay, gay, you gay. And I was just shocked, like, you know, like, he's only three years old. But then I know, mm. but then, you know, like when, when I, I was, I was just shocked and I, I cannot be mad with a kid, you know, because he's not even, yeah. he, he's not, he doesn't know yeah. better. But then when I realized it's their parents who are telling you, you know, like you should, he's gay, look at him, he's gay, you know, like it's bad, it's bad. So that's one of the biggest yeah. challenge, you know, like I have, I have faced in all the centers and I'm still facing that's part of life. You cannot change everyone. And do you feel, listen to you, do you feel that the Department of Justice, people who are in charge of looking after you and, and making sure, do you feel listened to when you make these complaints or are you brushed off and ignored and you really have to sort of scream and shout to get attention? Uh, well, you know, like 
fortunately, I should say, in all the centers in Balseskin and in Hazel Hotel, the management were lovely. Okay. They were very supportive. But like I said, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, some some racial disgraceful comments happens, let's say, in a communal bathroom where there's no, you know, like, where there's no proof as such. It's very difficult, you know, for them, like, to take action. But even, like, even here, the management, they are very nice people. And they did tell me, you know, like, if you face such, such uh, humiliation again, if you face such a uh, scenario again, do come here and then uh, we are here for you. So, and then like to add on, you know, like, so I went to, I knew like, I knew like in all the goddess station, we have an LGBT department where the, some goddess are from the LGBT. So then I went in Athlone in, in station. So I already got the numbers and I did tell them, you know, like this is happening to me. So what uh, I really want to you know, like, what can you do? And they did, they did, you know, advise me and they did advise me strongly uh, that if something happens, give them the shout, they are here for me. And they know the center manager, everything. So I have support in a way. Okay, well, that, that's, that's good that you're not entirely on your own. What's standing in between you and getting sort of your full citizenship or, you know, what, what that means you can leave the accommodation you're in? What's standing between that? Okay, so... I have, it's been, it's been nearly two months now since I got my residence permit. So yeah. I have got that and I have already applied for my travel documents, everything. So my main, uh, I really want to move out to, I really want to move to Dublin, to be honest. Because okay. first of all, you mm -hmm. know, like uh, another second challenge, which is related to, to, to my, uh, to move to Dublin is finding a job. What's your profession? You know, I have always been working in office, but to be honest, like any, any job I'm here to work. I have like, uh, I got three work permits, the work permit. Now they have changed the role, you know, like, but when I applied the work permit, it was renewable for every six months. And can you believe me? Okay. I got three work permits, like for nearly one and a half year. I never got any job. When I did get a job, it was in Dublin, but I couldn't take it due to the lengthy commute. That's why I'm still okay. jobless. So now, since I have got my residence permit, which means, you know, like I'm secured in this country, I can work full time without any restriction. So I have applied my travel mm -hmm. document and I have already submitted my form to HAP in Dublin. Because I really want to move to okay. Dublin because it's very easy to get a job in Dublin. Like I said, you know, like mostly I have I have accounting experience and I know like it's going to be quite easy to get a job. But I do have retail experience and I do have, you know, like PR experience, everything. So, you know, it's going to be very it's going to be very like uh, in my favor to get a job there. And yeah. secondly, I really want to become an LGBT activist. Okay. I really want to become an LGBT activist, you know, like to to my country of origin to show that, that you know, like we are human beings as well. So all the mm -hmm. LGBT activities, all the LGBT organization, you know, all the LGBT uh, facilities are in big cities. And have you had much interactions with the LGBT community? Maybe you have sort of the groups, whatever, like belong to and stuff but have you had much chance to socialize with the community and if so were they welcoming yes you know uh okay good 
with social media around, it is very easy to connect within the community and joining islands, queer community has been a blessing for mm -hmm. me. And there's so much to learn in this diverse platform. I, I am a proud, I can say I'm a proud member of LGBT Island and Outhouse Community True. Center. The peer-to-peer -peer mm -hmm. support, love, acceptance, and backup I have got from these organizations have contributed immensely in my journey. Well, that's good. That's good, good to hear. I kind of finish every one of these interviews off with, I mean, we're, we're welcoming a pair of leaves. That's good to hear. But what could we be doing better, both, you know, as people, as a system, all that sort of stuff? According to me, some improvements needs to be done, such as, you know, at first, there should be a LGBTQ accommodation center, mm. preferably in Dublin, where the rainbow family can be themselves and don't feel targeted by nasty remarks made by homophobic asylum seekers. Mm. Also, being in the capital, they will get recurrent opportunities to liaise with the LGBTQ network and benefit in terms of activities, counseling, socialization, and voluntary jobs from them. Secondly, International Protection Office should speed up the process and set the deserving candidates, the deserving persons free. My understanding is to be able to get this person from outside introduced into society and getting them a job at accommodation and stuff. And it does sort of feel like some of those rules are preventing that from happening. And it feels counterintuitive. Yes, it is indeed. But the best thing, you know, like I was reading yeah. recently, you know, like, uh, the system is getting better, which is good. Like, you know, like two examples would be, you know, like, uh, like I told you, you know, like we were getting six work, six months, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, renewable work permit. But now it's been, you get for one week, one yeah. year, which yeah, is quite good. good. That's good that they're going in, in a good direction. In terms of you living there, yeah. it's tough enough as it is with the homophobia. Is something like COVID making things even more complicated for you? It is indeed, you know, because, you know, like COVID has slowed out everything because, you know, like top process, you know, I'm still waiting yeah. for my answer. And, you know, I cannot move out because, you know, like I have, I have to get a place through her. It's very difficult to get, to get a place. You know, I was studying in that loan training institute and it's closed and I'm, you know, I'm just feeling incomplete. Yeah. I, I am studying online, but, you know, like it's not the same, like, you know, like you are studying. So, you know, like COVID has been a hindrance for in all the fields, basically. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, definitely. And yeah. limiting your social life and you're stuck inside with the people who aren't accepting you, like that must be bad for the mental health. Yes, because, you know, like with the COVID, you know, like uh, most of the people are, are just like uh, staying inside. So this means, you know, like I'm becoming more famous. <laughs> Infamous, yeah. I'm becoming more famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and in terms of a... Of a, of a LGBTQ scene in Athlone, is there, have you found any of your tribe? No? No, unfortunately, you know, like, uh, there's no LGBT, even there's no LGBT, like, uh, organization, not even like, you know, like, most of them, like, it, it's very, it's, it's very strange, like, you know, when I was in Dublin, you know, like, the way people were looking at me, like, it's slightly different in Countryside. Mm. And, you know, like, we don't have any like a, any any organization nothing here because you know when i was doing my counseling even my gp they had to send me to dublin in outhouse because they don't have any lgbt counseling here right you know? yeah. are you happy overall i'm over the moon okay <laughs> elated 
happy, grateful, and on the top of the world. If we compare Mauritius via silent regarding the differences in attitude towards LGBTQ, the latter is completely the opposite. I can be myself here and live peacefully. There's no judgment regarding my sexual orientation, no disgraceful comments regarding my, the way I am, the way I dress, no social pressure for me to become a man and marry a girl, no restrictions on my lifestyle, no psychological trauma and no rejection from the society. Here in Ireland, I feel like a free bird who can spread his wings and fly. Thank you so much for chatting to us today. We'll close things out with a song that you that is your fond memories of your time in Ireland. What have you chosen? Well, definitely this is Take Me to Church from Halsey's. Thank you so much, Preet. You're welcome. Thank you very much for your time. Take me to church, like a dog at the shrine of your They are five episodes. It's the end of the documentary. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Preet, for coming on the show and sharing that gut-wrenching story. I just, like I said at the top of the show, I just think it's so admirable that he can keep such a positive outlook in the face of adversity. A quote from the chat that really stood out to me was, my favourite thing about me is that I am exactly who I am. And I just feel... That speaks so profoundly about the importance of inner peace and how, for Preet, despite all of the rubbish that he has to contend with living in direct provision and through the Irish political system, because he has found that inner peace, it doesn't seem to get him down. I just think that's just so impressive and it's really given me food for thought. On the topic of food for thought, I've been thinking about what my sort of takeaway is after chatting to these five people who all have a different side of the story of being a queer migrant in Ireland. And you know, I really did try to find someone who could be openly negative towards Ireland and the Irish, you know, for balance purposes and for as a learning experience. And of course, we've heard of the problems with the direct provision system, which a lot of people are aware of. They might not have been aware of in what form they took. And we did hear Marisha in episode four speak about being bullied in school and having a tough time in school. But one thing that did stand out to me is that they all spoke so positively about the Irish reputation abroad. And the reputation genuinely does seem positive after the marriage referendum and the fact that Leo Varadkar is gay no matter what we think about him. And there just seems to be a general welcoming Irish atmosphere that people spread anecdotally. Which made me think that it's so easy to think in a really insular way here in Ireland on our, on our little island with a mere five million people. But really, how we treat others and who we vote for and what we stand for is seen by the world. And to somebody out there in dire circumstances, they can see who we voted for and what we stand for and how we treat others and that might inspire them to leave their dangerous circumstances and come here, which 
once the immigration system and process works properly and does what it should do, could be the difference of life and death for that person. So have a think. What's the image of Ireland that you want to be seen out there? And how can you behave and what can you stand for and who can you vote for to achieve that? Because we need to choose carefully because the world is watching us. That is the last episode of season one of Hearing Queer, which originally aired in 2021. Join me next week as we kick off season two and we are heading to Brazil to meet Fair City star Rodrigo. Have a good week. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.